Father God, I pray that uh, the rest of the morning uh, you would speak to us about uh, who we are, what we have to do, uh, and how we can pull it off. But in a context of intimacy with you and your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you yourself would come among us and empower us and refresh us and free us, strengthen us. Uh, we put ourselves uh, in a place to receive uh, from our Father today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe in a superior being. That's one thing uh, about me and how I see the world. I believe that this being created the universe and he created the universe in such a way that life is meaningful, that life has a point. Um, one aspect of the universe uh, that he created is that there is struggle in it, and the struggle helps us create meaning, as it turns out. Uh, so I look to that superior being to help me with the struggle, to help me know uh, how to live with meaning and power. In that, I trust this unique figure in history, uh, this person called Jesus, and I look to him as my model. And there you go, there's a short paragraph about what I believe and how I navigate the world. And um, it seems simple, uh, I think, when I just say it like that, but in fact, it requires a lot out of me. You know, to live that life actually takes quite a bit of strength quite a bit of oomph. Uh, I got drawn into a conversation this week. It was a, a conversation uh, about, uh, well, it was an evangelistic conversation. It was a conversation uh, that some believers of Blue Water were having with some people who, who did not believe, and I got kind of invited into that conversation. And uh, the thing that, uh, that we were talking about was the, the, the non-believer's opinion that Christians are weak-minded people weak people, and so they look to religion uh, to tell them what to do. You know, this idea that we're just a bunch of cattle, everybody say moo. So you are weak-meated, I can control you. I just got you to say moo in front of a whole bunch of people. Dang it. Uh, but the truth is, and I think most of you would agree, that no one who actually tries to live out the life of Christ, nobody who actually tries to model their life after Jesus would ever say that it was for weak-minded people. Uh, it actually takes a tremendous amount of mental strength, uh, self-discipline, uh, fortitude at about every level. Sure, Jesus called weak people. Jesus went to weak people. Jesus had great messages for weak people. But when Jesus gathered weak people, it was to make them strong. Not necessarily to make them strong in the ways of the world, but to make them strong in a way that overcame the world. And, and, and I think his methods have been borne out uh, what we have found is that those weak people, that rabble that Jesus gathered, having no worldly power, no worldly honor, no worldly resources, no wealth, no military power, actually changed the earth and have continued to change it and shape it for over 2,000 years now, which is a unique sort of strength. And I think anybody who just sort of objectively looked at history would just shake their head in wonder. It's like, wow. What kind of strength is this? But that's just me. That's just how I see things. 
Uh, I saw Jesus see things, saw things as well. He said one of my life verses, Matthew eleven twelve, and I quote this so often. From the time of John the Baptist until now, Jesus said, until I came along and got this thing going, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing with force, and it takes a forceful person to get a grip on it. If you're going to participate in this thing, you need to be strong. You need to have an attitude of forth, force. And I think history, Jesus' message, his methods, I think they all bear out this truth. The faith is strong. The faith is strong. Now, question is, are you strong in the faith? And that's, that's a separate question and an important question. Are you a strong person in the ways that count uh, in the kingdom of heaven? I know, I know for a fact that you're a person of purpose. I know for a fact that there is a specific calling, a specific design on your life and for your life. I know that for a fact because I've been hanging around with God a lot and I've discovered that He has a specific purpose for every person that I've ever encountered. You are a person of destiny, no doubt in my mind, but are you fit enough to carry through on your destiny? Do you have the strength to pull it off? You know, every, every year um, I like to uh, uh, read the, the news reports on uh, the Molokai to uh, Oahu uh, paddle race. You know, not the paddleboard race, but where they get on boards and they hand paddle across, you know, that, across that channel, across that channel, uh, which is just an extraordinary feat. Uh, it can be done, but if you if you were on your if you're on your surfboard on uh, you know the shores of Molokai, you're looking over and seeing Oahu. Uh, you would know how to get there. <laughs> it's right in front of you. Uh, you would have the equipment to get there, just like everybody else. But could you get there? What determines whether or not you could cross that channel? Well, I mean, you, yeah, you know, your your fitness, right? Uh, do you have the capacity to follow through on, on what you know how to do, right? You've got all the equipment, you've got all the direction that you need, but do you have the personal fitness uh, to pull it off? And I think a lot of life is like that. Uh, I want to talk for a few weeks about personal health, about personal strength and personal fitness, uh, particularly, you know, spiritual strength and spiritual fitness and, and spiritual health. And I'm going to do that as sort of a foundation teaching to uh, a teaching that will follow that, which is a teaching on the Bible, by which I mean the whole Bible. What I want to do is take a, a couple months and just do the Bible from beginning to end in broad strokes. Because I think that's often the best way to learn Scripture and truth is to see the big picture and then to go to uh, the specific things uh, found in Scripture. So that's what we're going to do. But, but I really want to talk about, about just, you know, per personal health, inner health first, um, because that's so important to us following through on the things that we perceive and know in the kingdom of God. You have to define health first. Have you ever tried to define health? What is it exactly? Um, you know, so many different ways to talk about it. You know, health, strength, fitness, uh, resistance. Uh, to sickness and contamination, stuff like that. No matter how you cut it, I think health does two things. I think health empowers and protects. I like the word vitality when I think about personal health. 
You know, you know what the word vitality means? Or it comes from that word vital, uh, vital, which comes from the word vita, life. Vitality means lifiness, just full of life. Whatever, whatever the force of life is, if you have it a lot, then you're a healthy person. And it makes you a strong person, and it makes you resistance, makes you resist weakness really well. It makes you resist sickness and injury really, really well. You know, if you have a strong ankle, it's hard to sprain it. If you have a weak ankle, then stepping off the curve wrong will, will sprain it. Um, so I like that word vitality. Uh, I also like to think of, of health as the capacity to do what you're designed to do. In that sense, it's something like fitness. You're designed for purpose. You're designed for a mission in life. You're designed for love. You are designed for massive creativity in the world. Defined broadly, not just like, you know, creative arts, but just creative living. You are designed to bring life to every situation that you walk into. And you're healthy if you can do those things with effective power right now. If you can walk into a place and bring life. Uh, if you can live out your purpose today uh, in this moment in your place, it's, it's because you're a healthy person. And then, of course, if you can resist attack, if you have a strong immune system. Uh, Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, we are told, uh, had tremendous amounts of strength, but he also had personal vulnerability. He ended up having, you know, 700 wives and 1,000 concubines. He had a weakness with the ladies. He really did. And his weakness with the ladies drew him into some religious pluralism. In order to keep all his wives happy, uh, he got involved with some pagan idolatry and thing like that just to keep the household working. How could you keep a household working with 700 wives? a significant vulnerability. I'm just going to shut up and move on. Uh, Judas. Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus. You know, Judas followed Jesus for, you know, a few years there anyway, and Judas did miracles. The dude did miracles. He healed people. He delivered people. He did everything that the other disciples did, and then he betrayed Jesus. Why? He was very strong, but he had some personal vulnerabilities. As I read it, Judas wanted the Messiah to be a national hero that made Israel politically strong and kicked out the Romans. And Jesus was like, I'm not really about the political situation, guys. I'm about changing the whole world for everyone. And it made Judas so angry, he just lost himself. And he betrayed Jesus because he thought he knew better. It was a personal vulnerability that, that uh, ruined it. More generally, I just think of health as the engine of life. Your health is what's under the hood. What's under the hood in your life? You know, you have a big powerful truck that's pulling big loads, that's doing great work on the construction site, but you know, if, if the engine goes bad, or if, you know, if the carburetor starts sputtering, then everything's, everything breaks down. What's under the hood in your life? Is it sound? Is everything firing as it should? Because if what's under the hood is wrong, then ultimately it's all going to go wrong. There's going to be breakdown in your life. So this is a series about what's under the hood. Uh, last introductory remark, I don't know what's under their hood. 
Uh, there we go. Uh, last introductory remark, I'd like to just paint a picture of health, a portrait of health for the believer. What does health and vitality look like for the Jesus follower? And you could say so many things about that. Uh, sometimes it's useful just to kind of paint a, a picture. And I think, you know, happily, uh, the Bible and history gives us a, a pretty concise portrait of what health looks like for the believer. And that portrait is Jesus. For the believer, health looks like Jesus. In other words, we should look like Jesus. We should have a life like Jesus had. And that was a big part of Jesus' mission, just to show up and said, hey, this is what it looks like to be a healthy, spirit-filled human. I'm your model. You know, I'm not just like the Messiah. I'm kind of a model for you guys, you know? That's why he said to people, follow me, do what I do. In fact, he promised people greater things than these you will do after, after I'm gone. Jesus is our picture of health. Another way to say that, and just think about this, a healthy believer is a miracle worker. Jesus said so. A healthy believer is a miracle worker. Jesus didn't just work miracles. Jesus gathered people around him and had them do it. You know, and miracles generally understood. They healed a lot of people. Uh, they cast out a lot of demons, but they also changed entire villages. Uh, they changed their own families. They would go on to change the world. They would do things that for other people were impossible. They moved with miraculous boldness. They were without fear. They became supernatural people, not natural people. A healthy believer is a miracle worker in every sense of that term. Mark 16 puts it this way, these signs or these evidences will accompany those who believe. These signs will accompany who? Those who believe. Do you guys believe? How many of you believe? You know, that's, so that's pretty general. That's a pretty broad statement. If you believe in, you know, the superior being who created the universe and provided Jesus and and has purpose and power for us. If you believe in that stuff, then this is what will happen for you. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they will drink. And when they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but it's an illustrative list, and it's a fairly impressive one. If you believe, then some, you'll be able to communicate supernaturally. You'll pick up snakes with your hands and drink deadly poison, and it won't be hurt and it won't hurt you. In other words, you'll have incredible resistance to all of the dangers and the distractions and the traps of the world. Even things that should hurt you immediately, like a snake bite or drinking Drano, will not hurt you if you have the sort of vitality that Jesus had. That's what he's saying. And you'll place your hand on sick people and make them well. In other words, if you're filled with vitality, you get to share vitality. It overflows in you. And rather than being contaminated by the sickness of the world, you contaminate the sickness of the world and you make it better. You turn it in and out. That's the picture for anyone who believes and is full of it. Full of it in a good way. 
Some of us are full of it in a not-so-good way, full of it and full of the goodness that Jesus is talking about. You should be incredibly fertile and you should be miraculous. I think that's, what, I think that's normal. I think that's the normal that Jesus is talking about. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the process of health. This is just an introductory sermon. I'll name a few uh, touch tones for health at the end of the sermon, and then we'll just call it good uh, for today. Uh, but just going through it quickly, I wanted to talk about the process of health, health and sort of give us um, a mechanism, you know, uh, for thinking about uh, health and how to create it. Uh, you know that sense of well-being that you have sometime when you feel healthy, uh, when you feel strong? It's a sense that I think it boils down to the sense that you can get what you need. You feel good in life. You feel well when you feel like you can get what you need, right? If you're hungry, you can get food. If you're cold, you can get shelter. If you're lonely, you can get love. If you feel that, then you feel well. And we are motivated to have that sense of well-being in life. It's a measure of your perceived power. Do I have the power to get love? Do I have the power to get food? Do I have the power to whatever? That's how we think as human beings. Um, and, and this makes sense to me. It makes sense to me in the light of Scripture. We are people designed for power. That is who we are as human beings. We are designed for power. One of the first things Scripture tells us is that we are given dominion. We are given empowerment over the earth. Uh, you know, unique among the animals of the garden, Scripture says, humans are given the ability to shape the garden, to shape the world, to influence other animals. And of course, you know, that is kind of what sets us apart as a, as a creature, as a, as a species. We get to shape the world. Our design is to shepherd and to release life in the world, to be fruitful in a unique way. We are people of power. We are creatures of power. We're not all powerful, that's very clear, but we are incredibly powerful and therefore we have options. You know, the Lord has given us choice. Uh, health has to do with what we do for power. Health has to do with how we get our power, what we do for empowerment. Uh, here's, here's my theory on human behavior. Hang with me on this for a second. People do whatever makes them feel powerful. People do whatever makes them feel powerful. I think that is a universal law of human behavior. We are constantly trying to empower ourselves for things that we want, for security or for strength and influence, for feel good, or for doing good, we're constantly trying to empower ourselves. Healthy people do things that make them powerful in truth, right? They're doing things that make them feel powerful, but the things they do actually work, right? Healthy people do things that generate power for them. Unhealthy people do things that make them feel powerful, but which don't bring power and which actually weaken them. That's the difference between healthy people and unhealthy people. Healthy people do things that make them powerful. Unhealthy people do things that only make them feel powerful, usually for a short time. <laughs> That's the difference right there. That's the process. 
of health that we engage in. Um, so examples uh, of this. Eating. We all eat. Healthy people eat in a way that empowers them. Unhealthy people eat in a way that often makes them feel powerful but weakens them. Right? So when we have an unhealthy relationship uh, with our eating, we eat, well, what do we eat? We, we have this phrase, we eat comfort food, don't we? We eat comfort food or we eat convenience food, and we do that when we feel lonely or when we feel anxious or anything like that. Food is so accessible to us in our culture that we can use it in a falsely empowering way. So, so we do that, right? And that's that, that's a difference. If, uh, that's a huge difference right now in your physical health. If you are a physically healthy person, you eat in an empowering way. If you are a physically unhealthy person, you eat malasadas for breakfast. How many people actually had a malasada for breakfast? I forgive you in Jesus' name. That's, it's not really the point of the sermon. It's just an illustration that I feel we all understand. You know? And we're all familiar with that choice, uh, which, is, which is why I use it. Uh, exercising, you know, uh, is, is a choice that, that uh, makes you truly powerful, you know, physically. It might feel that it makes you weak in the moment, <laughs> you know, when you exercise. You might feel like you're dying, but of course we know that actually it's going to make you vital. It's going to make you strong and, and full of life. Uh, an exercise... Uh, that uh, does that makes you feel powerful in the short term. I was trying to think of like an analogy to exercise. Um, I came up with shopping. You know, uh, we shop in a way sometimes for like you know physical adornment or, or disposition in some fashion. When we shop, we feel really powerful. Look, I give you this card. You give me whatever I want. I'm powerful, you know. When you walk into a store, people usually treat you with deference as an empowered. It's a very empowering experience, really. This is the basis on which home shopping networks work, right? Uh, it's like all you have to do is press a few buttons and you can have this thing. You know, that's very empowering. Does it lead to power, though? That's the question. You know, but we can use it sort of addictively, and it leads us uh, to trouble. Truthfulness is an exercise that feels uncomfortable. It often leads to power. If you're true about yourself, if you tell yourself truths about yourself, you don't deny what's going on in your life. If you are truthful about yourself to other people, it might be painful in the moment, but it always sets you free. It always sets you up. A life of integrity is a life of power. It keeps you honest in a world that begs you to be dishonest, right? So truthfulness is empowering. Um, there are a lot of ways in which we're not honest with ourselves that are empowering. Um, one of the most empowering things we have in our culture is the mouse click. Right? You can go online, you can open your browser, and the world is right there for you. And all you have to do is click it. You can be master of so many different domains depending on what link you click. Right? And there's all sorts of empowering, deadly things on the internet, right? But when we're sitting there in our chair and we've got a button 
uh, in our hand, it's so powerful. Like the experience is so powerful. You know, there's a lot of nasty things on the internet that make you feel powerful in the short term. You know what I'm talking about. But even stuff like Facebook, right? You know that people are engaging in power exercise by reading the rants, right? If I type this thing and click this button, the world has to listen to my voice. And I'll load a picture so it grabs their attention. It makes you a publisher. It makes you, you know, a, a, a speaker, an orator. It's, it's so empowering, you know? It's like, I'll put my life up here and everybody will see it. Everybody will look at me! And that's a very empowering experience. And so people get addicted to Facebook. Why? It's empowering. That's why. That's why. Can it be used for good? Of course. I'm all about social media. Um, but, you know, there's a truly empowering way and a falsely empowering way uh, to use it. Drugs are empowering, right? Because they make you feel good. All I have to do to feel good is, is to smoke this or to take this pill or to drink uh, this concoction. And I will feel good. I will feel good. I have the power to make myself feel good whenever I want. But it's not empowering, is it? Uh, not in the long term. It's unhealthy in that sense. Um, you know, anything having to do with shallow physical intimacy is the same thing. I'm careful how I talk about this this morning, but, but you know what I mean. Right? There's a way to be empowered in the short term, and then there's a way to be empowered truly, to become powerful, vital, such that you can give away empowerment and life instead of just sucking it up. Now, you get the idea, right? There are extreme examples of this. People that we uh, tend to consider insane people which is a weird word, but insane literally just means not healthy. People who we consider to be like mentally insane are people who have chosen to do things to make themselves feel empowered, but they're just extreme things. They're delusional or they're compulsive. But, but these are people trying to come up with a sense of security or trying to come up with a sense of power and what they've done is just concocted a little world in their head that really doesn't make sense to the people around them but makes them feel like they're filled with you know security or effectiveness or something like that delusions of grandeur is a phrase that they used to use a lot in the literature you can become so deluded you think you're great and you'll do whatever you need to do to think you're great even if so clearly you're not. People get unhealthy in, in that way. Anyway, the question is, the process of health is this. In what ways do you seek empowerment in life? And the way you answer that question will tell me what I need to know about your health, about whether you're growing in health or weakening. You understand? You follow me? In what ways do you seek empowerment in life? And I just want that to sort of be fixed in your head uh, because that determines a lot in life. Our, uh, our scripture of today, let's go this really fast, is from Ephesians 4. It's on the back of your program. Just excerpts from Ephesians 4, which is really one of my favorite all-time chapters when it comes to personal health and, you know, maturing in, in personal health. It's from an epistle, a letter to the Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote. 
and the Gospels, the stories about Jesus in the Bible, they give us a model for how to live. And then the epistles are the letters from the early Christian leaders to the early Christian churches often fill out for us, you know, the details, you know, fills in the gaps. And, and Jesus shows us uh, the target and the epistles sort of encourage us along the way. Uh, that's how you think of it. So this is Paul writing to a church in Ephesus and sort of encouraging them along the way. And chapter 4 begins with this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul is, is probably writing literally from a prison cell. He's been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. As a prisoner for the Lord then, as someone who has paid the price, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, you've received a calling to be a person of purpose, a minister, to wear a hat. You know, you're a protector, or you're an encourager, or you're a gatherer, or whatever it is that you are. Live a life worthy of that. Live a life that empowers you to do that, is what Paul says. Okay. And then he begins to give advice about how to live a life that empowers you to do what you're designed to do. Uh, I pick it up uh, in verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Listen to this. You've got to understand this, Paul is saying. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is a funny word. It means non-believers. You must no longer live as non-believers do in the futility of their thinking, which is a phrase I think is just loaded. In the futility of their thinking. They think a lot, but it goes nowhere. It's futile. You don't want to live like that. It says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There's so much in that phrase. They're darkened in their understanding. Jesus had a phrase like that. He said, if the light, is in, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, you think you know what you're thinking about, but you don't even understand what the issues are. You know, you are deceived on the inside, and it makes it impossible for you to see anything clearly. You are darkened in your understanding, separated from the life of God, separated from health, separated from vitality, because of the ignorance, the misunderstanding, the lack of understanding that is in you due to the hardening of your hearts. Let me unpack all of that and say this. Sin makes you stupid. Right? The problem is not that you're intellectually stupid. The problem is if you're unhealthy spiritually, it makes it impossible for you to see things clearly, no matter how intelligent you are. You know? Um, there uh, are a, a great number of studies done on how people communicate. Uh, I've been particularly interested over the years in how married people communicate because I have to do so much marriage counseling. And when you go in for marriage counseling, one of the things that the therapist often says is, well, you need to communicate more clearly. You need to communicate better and more powerfully. Well, people have actually examined this. And it turns out when you take a husband and a wife who are in conflict and you give them communication tools, they just argue at a higher level. You know? And, you know, forgive me, certain ones of my friends, but I think of lawyers when I think of this, right? Lawyers are really, really good at arguing. They're not really trained in truth-finding. They're trained in arguing. 
Now there's a larger supposition that if you get one person on one side and one person on the other side and they argue at a high level, the truth will eventually come out. But does that happen in the courtroom a lot? You know, it, it, you, sometimes as a lawyer, thank you, just, just I bless your profession. I just, I just love that you guys are, are, are serving in, in that way. But, but what does it depend on, you know, Michelle? It, it depends on your personal commitments and motivations, right? If, if you're an unhealthy lawyer, you can confuse issues endlessly, can't you? Uh, and so you, it's built on the honor of, of the lawyers. I, I just think that that's, you know, it's, it's a fair illustration. It's like, it depends what you're committed to. And if you're darkened in your heart, if you're hardened in your heart, then it's impossible to get you to respect truth. You have no taste for it. And that's what Paul is talking about. You've given yourself over to something that has made you stupid. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. You know, I mean, they're, they're smart, but because their heart is bad, they can no longer think clearly. Sin makes you stupid. That, however, is not the way of life. And that's not the way of vitality. That's not the way of health that you learned when you heard Jesus Christ. You heard about Jesus Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, right? The deceitful desires. What Paul's supposition here is that unhealthy people are deceived, you know? It's like you think malasada is healthy. It's not. How could you get there? Well, some of you love malasada so much that you know, you know how to get there. Well, it's sure, but it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, it's just, I'm just enjoying it. And then pretty soon you're eating it four times a day. I'm touching, I'm touching some nerves here, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> Deceitful desires. Put off your old self to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Right? Not, not the, the, the intellect, but the attitude that determines where your intellect goes. Life is attitude. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and, and holiness. And, you know, it goes to mindset. What have you set your mind on? What have you set your heart on? That's the beginning of understanding. Whatever you commit to, you understand. Whatever you reject, you choose to not understand at some primal spiritual level. And no matter who talks to you or how clearly they talk, it's really hard for you to see the light because you've committed to something that is dark. That's what happens to us uh, in life. And it happens to believers. Remember, this is a letter to believers as well as to non-believers. We have to be healthy. We have to commit ourselves to what is healthy and to keep that at the forefront of our perceptions. To a weak mind, to a weak heart, there's no explaining truth. You can't do it. You have to heal the heart first. It's not a matter of understanding, it's a matter of capacity. I know how to paddle from Molokai to Oahu, but do I have the capacity yet? You have to develop the capacity to pull it off. How can you explain light to a blind man? You know, 
how can you explain light to someone who decided there's no such thing? It's really hard. You know, I was trained as a political scientist. I often think of political debates um, when I think about a truth and, and, and apprehending it. I, I was born uh, in, the, in the very late 1960s, which was kind of an iconic time. You had a, you had a, a conservative, aggressive government that I think was probably mishandling a lot of things. You know, it was the era of the Vietnam War and some pretty brutal foreign policy and stuff like that. And then you had a younger generation that just rose up and collectively shook its fist at its parents. You know, rock and roll, Woodstock. And they were both so committed to what they saw as, as rightness. As a result, you know, the government caused a lot of damage, lingering damage in, in different places. And that 1960s generation, which was dedicated to free love, well, has some lingering damage there too, I can tell you as a child of the 60s. I created a culture that was not entirely healthy. The criticisms that they had against the older generation were good. They were accurate as far as they went. Some of the criticisms that the older generation had against their recklessness were, were accurate. You know, a lot of the icons of that freedom movement in the 60s killed themselves through overdoses or, or suicide. They were arguing, but I don't think, you know, any major party in those political debates was really committed to truth. They were committed to being right. <laughs> You know, but they were missing the mark. And you can just kind of sit back and, and look at it now and read it as a historical tableau and think, you know, it's like two children arguing over calculus. You know, they just, they didn't have the, the capacity, you know, to pull it off. I think uh, witnessing this most recent election and some of the recent fallouts of the election that were kind of in the same place politically speaking right now. I mean, the, the quality of our political debate sucks. I say that as a political science PhD and just, just thinking human. <laughs> you know, people are doing radical things on the left and the right because they're so convinced that something needs to be done, but none of them are wise, right? None of them are, are kind in a way that's actually healthy, that actually accomplishes what they want to accomplish. I'll get off the soapbox now. Um, but that, that's kind of how I see so many of the dominant debates uh, of, of the world. You know, the political debates on TV and on Facebook are always asking me, what side are you on? I'm like, I'm gonna pick a third side. <laughs> I'm gonna pick a third side. I'm gonna pick one that brings life uh, and that's hopefully uh, something that makes me uh, distinct. You have to know how to define the battle in life. You have to know what you're fighting against. You have to know what the objective is or things get really crazy. A little bit later in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, you know, our fight is not against flesh and blood. You've got to think higher than that. Our fight is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's against the powers and the principalities. It's against evil spirits. It's against evil forces in the universe. You have to think higher. You have to get the big picture before you dial down into specifics or you lose your way really fast. Right? Um, I, I do believe in demons. I do believe in evil spirits. 
I do. I'm not sure I understand them entirely. I'm not sure how they exist as beings, you know. I mean, they're so different than us, but I've encountered them in real ways. I've kicked them out of people. I've encountered them in raw form, right? And, and they seem weird to me. You know, they don't seem like persons to me. They, they really just do seem like, like, like forces, like, like, you know, opinions that have gone out of control, if that makes any sense to you. They're dominating and controlling. There are forces in the world that are trying very hard to control you, and you need to know that. And your immune system, your spiritual immune system, needs to be strong enough to fight them off, or you will become a puppet really fast. And it will corrupt your thinking such that you don't even know that you're a puppet. I read a quote this week. Um, the more evil the man, the less he is aware of it. The more controlled you are, the less you think you're being controlled. Whereas a healthy person, a mature Christian, will feel some evil force against them and they will immediately feel icky. They will immediately know that there's a contest for control happening. They're still sensitive. But if your heart is darkened, it says you have lost all sensitivity. You no longer know what's going on. So a person of health is different. That's what I'm saying. The point here is that our degree of health determines how we see the world. Our degree of health determines how we see the world. Not just how we function, but how we see the world. Have you ever gotten to a place where you say, I, I can remember thinking that this was true, but you know, I can't really feel it anymore. Have you had that experience in your spiritual walk? What's happened is not that your mind has changed. What happened is that you have become more unhealthy and you can no longer see what you used to see. That's how spiritual unhealth works. You're no longer fit. And so when you try to do healthy things, now it hurts and you're offended by pain and you think this exercise is evil. No, that exercise is the key to your health. Your perception has gotten wacky. Whereas a healthy person will go run for five miles and feel good. It's a matter of capacity. Uh, now, if you're not healthy, there may be good reasons for it. Uh, you might have gotten shelled in life. You might have just had to deal with so much trauma or violence or frustration or grief or loss that it's just, it's hurt you. You know, you have been overworked. That happens. Uh, maybe you've, you've never been very fit at all. You just never got around to being spiritually fit. And, and that might be for understandable reasons, right? It might be because there were forces in your childhood over which you had no direct control and it just kind of messed you up early. Right? Whatever your situation is, there is still a path to health and you've got to appreciate it, you know? You might notice that your, your life is just a little short of, on vitality, uh, right? You might think, wow, I'm involved in this thing, and if you had talked to me six weeks ago, I would have said I would not be involved in this thing. Somehow I've managed to change my own mind. <laughs> you had no vitality. Maybe you've noticed things like that. Maybe you've never used your spiritual strength before. And it's atrophied. It's a weak muscle that you've just never worked out. 
and you need to get on that. So that's what the sermon series is going, about, is going to be about. And I'm going to organize it in this way. I'm going to talk about touchstones for health. You guys know what a touchstone is? Um, like traditionally, a touchstone is a kind of monument. Um, in you know, older Europe, it would literally be a stone. It would be something that you, you would, in the center of the village, you would go and you would touch it. You know, and it was a little ritual. And like, wow, you know, this this is real, or this thing certain hap- this this thing happened. You know, uh, we erect monuments for important battles or important events in history, um, and then people visit those monuments as if to ensure them assure themselves. Wow, this this really happened. It's an anchoring point, something that you're uh, to which you. Uh, you know, erect some sort of monument so that you do not forget a compass point by which to navigate. Uh, so I want to talk about certain touchstones for health. The thing about health is that it has so many different ingredients. What makes you physically healthy? Well, it's diet, and it's exercise, and it's rest, and it's medical care. You know, it's just all these things folded together. Uh, and so what I, I'm a simplifier. I try to boil it down, and I just want to talk about a few things in this sermon series, just to get our mindset where it needs to be. If you are strong in these things, then you're strong. And what I want to talk about are three things in particular. We'll just kind of end here. I want to talk about faith. If you're strong in faith, then you're strong. You're strong generally across the board. What does it mean to be strong in faith? Well, I think most every virtue kind of reduces to faith. If you have enough rest in your life, it's because you have enough faith to believe that God's going to take care of all those things that you cannot control, <laughs> you know. But faith is, it's, it's not just what you believe in. It's a mindset. It's a mode. Faith is a martial art, I think. I mean, if you're going to be a person of faith, you have to be incredibly committed to being a person of faith. You cannot be casual about it. Faith is no place for cowards. Faith is as real as it gets. Jesus paints a crisp picture of what it means to have a black belt in faith. He says, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will. This from a man who walked on water. He knows what he's talking about. And I think we need to set our sights higher. When you, when you have faith, you don't You don't doubt. You don't doubt. You can question, you can be uncertain, but you can't doubt, and it's different, and that's what I want to talk about in this sermon series. Um, Sometimes um, I'm awesome at faith. In certain contexts, I'm fantastic. You know, I can go to meetings, tent meetings, where there's a lot of faith and achieve miracles and stuff like that. And then in certain contexts in my life, the personal contexts, I can just totally fumble faith, you know. Uh, I can get taken out by frustration and stuff like that. So the fight for faith is the fight of your life. I pretty much guarantee that. Faith is the purpose of life, and that life is designed to get us to trust God so that we can go on to eternity and, uh, and be trustworthy. Uh, purity is the second thing that I want to talk about. What is a pure person like? I just want to make sure you understand that. What is a pure person like? When I say purity, how many uh, people are excited by that word? 
It sounds like a chore, you know. Um, these days it can be hard to keep straight what purity is because the world does not encourage us to be pure at all. And there's this thing as, such as grace, which is like, you know, allows sin to grow up alongside righteousness oftentimes. But we need to be clear in our heads what purity is about. Um, so let's talk about purity of heart, because the pure in heart shall see God. You will see God in this world if you're pure. And then I want to talk about humility. And humility in terms of knowing your place. Knowing your place in the world. And by that, I don't mean rank. I don't mean know your place. You're not as important as I am. I mean, know your place in terms of knowing what your role is and accepting it. Humility is a greatly undervalued virtue. Submission is an important word then. Drawing on wisdom beyond yourself requires that you know your place in the universe. Because uh, we are powerful, but we're not all powerful. If you're not submitted, if you're not humble, then you're controlled. If you're not humble, then you're controlled. So those are just some teasers. Uh, I want to talk uh, about uh, health so that you don't get taken out of the game. Uh, and this is a heartbreaking thing I see all the time. Somebody is moving in their purpose, somebody is excited about the call of Jesus, and then they get taken out because they have a vulnerability, because they have uh, an unhealth in a vital place. And I see this happen all the time. I see it happen to you guys. And I, I feel it on occasion happening to me. You know, Satan doesn't have to convince you you have no purpose. He just has to make you lose faith or compromise your purity or make you prideful instead of humble. And you're out. You're out of the game. You're gone. And you don't even know what happened to you. And then you lose your capacity to see your way back. Because when your heart gets darkened, right, the truth goes away. That's what I want to talk about. Uh, make you vital and secure. Holy Spirit, um, you're our companion in this. And I pray that you would uh, treat us as a great physician, as a life coach, that you would be our companion in the fight for life. I pray it over our older ones. I pray it over our keiki. That nothing would take us out. And that nothing would cause us to fall short. Make us strong in you, Lord. The faith is strong. Make us strong in it. I pray that you'd speak to uh, Individuals, uh, even now, point to things that have to change, point to places of vulnerability and weakness. And as the Holy Spirit does that for you, points to things that have to get healthier. Don't feel despair, don't feel condemnation. This is a doctor bringing health to you. This is a doctor who's going to make you feel better. Who's going to make you feel empowered in a way that actually brings power. Trust it. Trust him. It's a good process.